Hello and welcome to the Mix It Up podcast. My name is Tara Thompson. I am a pharmacist and your host today. Um, This podcast is a show where we take you behind the counter to hear from experts in medicine, health, pharmacy, and compounding. So I wanted to just welcome you back to our three-part series we're doing on allergy immunotherapy. Um, In our first part, we talked about a broad overview of allergy immunotherapy. We spoke with expert Bob Erskine um, on the topic. So it was really great. If you missed that one, check it out. It's a great overview um, for any type of healthcare provider or patient who might be interested in learning more about allergy immunotherapy, the treatment, the testing, some questions that they should ask, um, and then, you know, just more information in general about that. So very good talk we had. So I wanted to um, welcome back our resident expert, um, Bob Erskine, to the show today. Hello, Bob. Hi, Tara. Welcome back. We're so glad to have you again. Um, great to be here. Yeah, we're so, we're so excited to talk today about subcutaneous immunotherapy. So for our listeners out there, um, you may know this as SCIT, S-C-I-T stands for subcutaneous immunotherapy. And it's one of the ways in the routes of administration that um, patients can get allergy treatments. So I'll let, obviously, Bob talk a little bit more about that. He is our expert um, on staff here and our clinical liaison. So um, I wanted to welcome him. He is actually um, has several, several years, both lab um, and clinical experience in the field of allergy immunotherapy. He got his bachelor's of science in microbiology from Texas A&M, and he completed his postgraduate studies at Harvard Medical School in the Division of Medical Sciences Immunology Program. Um, during his career, he's actually lectured um, at numerous allergy fellowship training programs in both the U.S. and Canada, um, and has extensive experience in the use of allergenic extracts for allergy skin testing as well. Um, he actually leads our Allerscripts program at Innovation Compounding um, Pharmacy, where we um, specialize in allergy testing and treatment regimens for patients that are personalized to the specific allergens that they're allergic to. So um, prior to that, he was a scientific director at ALK, where he led the scientific affairs and medical science liaison activities in all of North America. Um, so, Bob, tell us a little bit about yourself. That's just your professional biography there, but tell us how you actually got into this field. Um, just an overview for those who may have missed the first podcast. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, as I mentioned in the first podcast, my background really kind of dates back to my early childhood, uh, growing up with allergies and asthma myself. Um, I. I was skin tested at a very young age um, at an allergist office at a regional hospital. And uh, I was found that even at that age to have positive sensitivity to quite a few allergens. In fact, almost the entire panel that I was tested to. So this is something I've lived with uh, for quite a long time. I still struggle today with, with some allergy uh, issues with my health. Um, it, it's just something as those of us that are like me uh, will we'll kind of continue to, to struggle with, but uh, we do have much better treatments this, today than I probably did back when I was a child. So I am fortunate to, to not only be someone who knows about this, but I'm also a patient myself. Uh, so it really uh, provides a, a unique, unique situation where I can speak from experience. Awesome. Yes. So glad to have you. Um, it's, it's definitely encouraging to know that you started, you know, you started with this ailment, you learned all about it, you dedicated your life to learning about this. So it, it almost just like helps build the credibility of what you're talking about, because it's like you've been through this yourself and you can, 
you know, you have that connection to those who want to learn more about it and those patients who might be suffering from it. So, um, so in moving towards skit therapy, that's what we really want to focus on today in this particular podcast. Um, can you tell us a little bit about subcutaneous immunotherapy and how it is designed to treat a patient's allergies? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so as you mentioned, subcutaneous immunotherapy or how we refer to, refer to it as skit, um, really had, goes back quite a long time. The history of, of injection-based immunotherapy to desensitize a patient goes back well over 100 years and, and far beyond when the FDA was around to, to help us to, you know, design clinical trials to make sure all of this works. Um, so a lot of what we know about subcutaneous or SCIT really has been developed empirically by allergists over the years, uh, but we've really come to have a good basic understanding of, of how to deliver this treatment and how the patients can benefit from it. Um, so kind of just to give a little background on, on the basics, you know, really what we're doing is we're intending to give very small amounts of the actual substances that trigger our allergic uh, symptoms. So whether this is pollen from trees, grasses, or weeds, or if it's uh, solutions from, from uh, pet hair or dander, maybe it's from molds or cockroach or dust mites that are kind of in and around us at all times, uh, we actually have solutions, these uh, purified solutions, what we call allergenic extracts. That's the drug that we use for this particular treatment. And we mix these up in a very specific formulation for the patient. Um, and these are administered as, as small injections, typically in the arm uh, as a subcutaneous injection uh, on a regular basis. And the, the goal obviously is to try to retrain the immune system so that it's not as hyper-reactive or overreactive when it encounters these in real life. Um, Typically, this treatment has two phases. We, we kind of break it up into two uh, sections. The first is that first year, typically uh, six to months to 12 months of treatment, which we call the buildup phase, where we really take the patient from, and start them at a, at a very low dose, a very dilute dose of allergen or concentration of allergen. Uh, this is done for one primary reason. One is to make sure that the patient doesn't react when we actually inject this stuff into their arm. Uh, we are administering actual allergen source to an allergic patient. So there is some risk to that. Um, but as we progress through treatment, we slowly build or titrate up the concentration of allergen and the volume injected. And this will uh, presumably introduce more and more allergen to the patient and that their immune system becomes more accustomed to seeing it. And what we build, what we believe to be some tolerance to that allergen. Um, the, there is a lot more complicated nuance to this at the molecular level, which I won't go into. Uh, but again, the overall goal here is really twofold. One, for the patient to experience fewer symptoms when they encounter these allergens in their life. Uh, and this may not be hugely dramatic, but it can be for certain patients. But it's something clinically meaningful might be something that, you know, they can go and now enjoy gardening or going to their kid's soccer game without having to be miserable and carry Kleenex everywhere. Uh, the other aspect is really is to reduce the need for symptom relieving medication. So things like antihistamines or inhaled or nasal steroids uh, to control that allergic condition uh, can be now kind of curtailed or, or weaned off of, uh, you know, for patients that really get the best benefit, we can actually remove them from their, all of their symptomatic meds entirely. And for the, in the best case scenarios, we can have patients that really approach something like a cure where they don't really need those for the rest of their life. And it, that's really a, a transformative effect that we're going after for immunotherapy, especially in the subcutaneous route. So that, that's really kind of just in a nutshell how subcutaneous works. That's so interesting. Um, that particular route of administration is so 
popular, I guess, like you said, it's one of the, it's kind of what started the whole, um, that, that was like the gold standard of the allergy immunotherapy. So, um, and we'll talk a little bit about, there's also sublingual forms. Um, you, you mentioned um, in the first podcast about sublingual tablets, sublingual drops. Um, I've seen like some toothpaste. So just some interesting things that we'll talk about in the next one as well. But um, what can a patient experience when going through these particular treatments? Are there any side effects? Are there things that they need to consider? Um, or are they just, you know, I take it one time and I'm good? Or how does that work? <laughs> yes, the, the patient experience uh, can, can be a little, bit, a little varied, obviously, but there are a couple of things that probably should be kept in mind um, to, to think about, especially when you're, if you're a provider that's gonna be offering this to a patient or if you're a pharmacist looking to consult on this or if you're a patient yourself, obviously. Um, the first thing I think really uh, that I try to make sure I communicate to the practices I work with is that there is a commitment here for the patient. Uh, this isn't a one and done type treatment option. Uh, it's not like popping an antihistamine uh, this morning or last night and hoping I feel better today. Um, this, I tell people this is a marathon, not a sprint. So the patient needs to expect that this is going to take several years of treatment of commitment. Uh, going into the office, especially for immunotherapy that's delivered via injection, um, typically this is given in under medical supervision. So you'll need to go into the office on a regular basis, typically once a week, uh, to receive an injection. And uh, there, again, there is a risk of a reaction. Uh, that risk is typically very low for most people, but there is a, a, a risk that's somewhat low, somewhat rare, a very severe allergic reaction. So patients are typically asked to, to wait in the office about 30 minutes after their shot. So that's something that patient can, can think about and, and make sure they're aware of. Um, again, that risk of reaction uh, for a lot of patients it, during the course of their treatment, whether it's the buildup phase or that second phase, which we call the maintenance phase, which is the kind of secondary, the second through fifth years of treatment typically, um, is there, there is certainly a higher risk of very mild reactions, what we call local or injection site reactions. These are fairly common, uh, typically not too worrisome. Uh, occasionally they can be bothersome and those they're easily treated with some topical, uh, either cortisone, hydrocortisone creams to kind of relieve the, the itching or the swelling, or even just an antihistamine to relieve any itching. Um, it's those sort of bigger reactions that we do worry about. So again, this is why we do this in a medical office in most cases. In some situations, patients may be allowed to take these home to self-administer. Um, I typically don't teach that personally to practices I work with as a primary option, but it, it is an option that can be discussed with the patient in certain situations. Um, so really, you know, the, the secondary thing that patients really kind of ask about most commonly is, you know, when am I gonna start to feel better? Uh, that's a big concern of patients or you know, obviously outside of that is how much does it cost? So first let's talk about time to, to feeling better. That's really a big concern. Uh, I, I usually tell people, it really depends on what you're allergic to. So if, if you're allergic to things that are more seasonal, like the pollen from trees, grasses, or weeds, you really have to make sure you're in the primary season that causes you the most problems to determine if this treatment's really working for you. So for example, if I'm allergic to ragweed and I'm starting my treatment now, uh, ragweed season really is into the fall. So I may have to wait till next uh, next year into the fall season to really determine if this treatment's having some, some significant impact. Um, for other more perennial allergens like uh, pet dander or dust mites, we might be able to see some treatment effect quite early, even within a couple of months of treatment. So um, that's, you have to just keep patients mindful of that, that again, they're, they're not looking for something that happens right away. And sometimes that out of mind is, is really a problem for patients that's are, are looking for an immediate effect, I uh, just keep reminding them that this is a long-term treatment. 
Um, now, as far as the cost, you know, most insurance plans will cover this quite well. So I do remind our practices we work with and, and our pharmacy team certainly knows this, uh, but there may be some out-of-pocket costs uh, related to the deductible or, or certain co-insurance elements that need to be met. So uh, patients will typically have their provider look into that prior to starting treatment. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Sorry, I was muted, <laughs> but fix that. Um, it's uh, yeah. I was I was saying that one of the, I think most important things is patient expectations, both from a pharmacist um, counseling perspective, a provider perspective. When the patient's asking these types of questions, just setting those types of expectations. So thank you so much for um, clearing that up and letting us know that you know this may be a long term journey, but you know the rewards and the the rewards, the benefits that would come out of it are, are certainly worth it um, to stick with it for the long haul. Um, one thing I wanted to kind of ask you about, I know you talked about um, some, some of the sort of different allergens that are out there in terms of environmental, household, food, that type of thing. Does it depend on where you live in the United States? or other parts of the country, do you, do you, does it matter if you live on the East Coast versus the West Coast? Can those people, um, are they allergic to the same things? Are they allergic to different things? What if they move? Can you just kind of go over that? I think that's such an interesting point to um, bring awareness on. No, that's a great question, Tara. Thank you. Uh, so yeah, th there are certainly various allergen groups that don't have any kind of regionality to them. So obviously dust mites, you know, depending on, on where you live, dust mites can be more or less impactful, but typically we'll see dust mites just about anywhere we live. Um, they can thrive in settings where it doesn't matter where you live. Uh, same things can be said about molds and, and obviously pets or other animals that produce some dander uh, proteins that trigger allergies. Um, but as you mentioned, geography does have an impact on, on what we may be treated for. So for example, if you have a patient or somebody that lives in New York City, um, there are gonna be certain types of plants that, that grow in that particular part of the country that produce pollen that is allergenic. And that, that's gonna be a very specific sort of set of, of allergens you might want to target for formulation or for, for treating a patient. And that may be very different than what a patient might get say in Miami or in San Diego, uh, where it's a warmer climate, uh, the pollen seasons typically are longer, different types of plants thrive down there that are more uh, you know, heat tolerant. For example, Bermuda grass, which is found typically in more Southern states. So that kind of situation does really dictate how we approach the treatment formulation. Uh, it also kind of dictates what tests the patient might undergo to see what they're allergic to. So there can be some, some diversity and some variability depending on, on, on where the patient lives and what they're gonna be tested for. And of course, what ultimately ends up in their treatment formulation. Very cool. I love that. I think that's so interesting to know. Um, so in wrapping, I kind of want to just ask one more question regarding um, skit therapy, subcutaneous immunotherapy. What are some ways or how can um, healthcare practices, what can they do to help patients get the most out of their skit treatments? And then also for patients who might be on skit treatments, um, what is, I guess, the main question that you get from practices or patients about skit therapy? Great, great question. Yeah, so really, you know, as I mentioned earlier, this is a longer term treatment. So it does require quite a bit of a commitment on the patient's part to, to get the most out of their, of their immunotherapy. Um, from the provider's perspective, um, you know, this is a, a billable procedure to insurance. So immunotherapy is billed out 
not as a cash pay typically for subcutaneous route. It's really a, an insurance reimbursed option for the practice. And it's done through CPT codes. So uh, with anything that's procedural in, in a medical uh, setting, there's a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of documentation and forms that have to be filled out. So I do remind our practices we work with that uh, there is some documentation that has to be woven into your, your patient workflow. And that's probably one of the bigger hurdles uh, to, get, to get over to really be efficient at, at offering this treatment for your patients. Beyond that, uh, the next most important thing a practice can do for their patients is be a cheerleader, uh, really be a, a, a proponent, uh, someone that can uh, help the patient feel confident that they are doing the right thing. They're actually making a, a personalized choice to have an impact on their disease state. You know, lots of other treatments for allergies really are sort of just masking the symptoms. This is the only identified treatment uh, method that can change the way our, our body actually works. We can treat the, the body, we can train the body to heal itself. So I do tell people it's like retraining our immune system to, to react differently over time. So being a cheerleader and, and encouraging the patients as they go along their treatment path, uh, because it can have some ups and downs, it, it does take quite a long time to get up to the to what we call a maintenance dose, where we see that really that huge benefit occur over time. Uh, and, and encourage them along the way. Again, tell them that they're doing a great job. And maybe even, I've seen practices have little, little gifts they might give to a patient when they reach the top of the mountain on that, that first maintenance dose that they receive. So that can be a huge uh, impact for the patient. From the patient's perspective, it's really just staying the course, you know, making, again, reminding themselves that this isn't something that I can do for a couple of months and feel better. Um, even though my symptoms might go away for a few months because I'm out of season or maybe we've gotten rid of a pet or we've changed our living environment or working environment. Um, typically what happens is the patient decides to discontinue for a while, they will come back to the office the following year and go, oh my gosh, my symptoms have gotten so much worse again. I need to get back on my shots. Uh, and unfortunately in those types of situations, the patient may have to go back quite a few steps on their treatment protocol and possibly even start all the way over. So really sticking with it, staying compliant is the best thing a patient can do to, to get the most out of their, their subcutaneous treatment option. Thank you so much. I, that definitely compliance is something that we can all um, always reiterate on from any healthcare provider standpoint, um, pharmacists, providers, um, counselors, um, even our pharmacy techs and our pharmacy students, um, important counseling points for them as well. So thank you so much, Bob. Thank you so much for all of your insight, sharing your knowledge and your expertise, expertise with us today. We really appreciate you being on the show and giving us your time. My pleasure. I enjoyed it. And if anybody wants to reach out to Bob, um, how can they contact you? Do you have um, an email or, or are you on LinkedIn? Um, how can they find you, Bob, if they have questions? Yes, please do. I, I do have a LinkedIn profile, just Robert Erskine. If, if there's more than one, you can do Robert Erskine. Allergy typically finds me pretty easily. <laughs> um, and I certainly, if you want to contact me directly through the pharmacy, my email is rerskine at innovationcompounding.com. Great. Thank you so, so much. And thank you to all of our listeners who joined us on the Mix It Up podcast today. We hope that you take away something new today on your journey to a healthy life and healthy treatments. Um, on our next podcast, we're actually going to dive into SLIT therapy, which stands for sublingual immunotherapy. So today we heard all about SKIT. Next time we're going to hear all about SLIT. So um, if you are interested in that, please tune in. Um, if you missed our first podcast regarding an overview of allergy immunotherapy, um, please listen on that too. Really, really great information in there. Um, for more information on this podcast or to ask any questions on something you heard today regarding allergy or just compounding in general, please email us at info, I-N-F-O, 
at innovationcompounding.com. Thank you so much, everyone, and be well.